today on Ag News Daily. We were running out of processing um, availability where we were getting our lambs custom processed. Uh, they just didn't have room for us anymore because we were growing rapidly. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a beautiful Friday here across most of the central Corn Belt. I'm Mike Pearson, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Ashton Carr down in Texas. How are things looking? It's looking pretty good. We had a little bit of a storm roll through late last night. I say late. It was probably like nine o'clock, but uh, rolled in last night, had some good rain, and now it's feeling pretty good outside. So uh, it's a great Friday indeed. Fantastic. We've also got Delaney Howell on the call. Delaney, how are you doing today? I am pretty good as well. It's Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. We are talking to a lamb producer here in just a little while, and I'm excited to try my hand at cooking some lamb sometime soon. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about that just a few months ago. I really enjoy lamb chops, but I have never cooked lamb on my own. I've only ever had them at restaurants. That's yeah. Same with me. I've had, or I've had like euros, which usually have lamb meat in them, or I've had like a lamb chop at like a Brazilian steakhouse or a steakhouse, but it's always been somebody else has prepared it for me. So Their website has a ton of great recipes, so I'm very excited to try that. Excellent. Well, folks, stay tuned. This should be a great weekend for cooking up something new if you are looking to uh, change things up a little bit. Absolutely. But what is going on in the world of news? We're not going to change that up today, talking about news on the podcast. No, no, but we better do so. We've got some news. So yesterday we played the interview uh, Ashton and I had with Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa, and we talked about the uh, challenges that are facing the biofuels industry. Well, Reuters reports another challenge that's facing the industry, and this one is brought on by, again, the confluence of factors caused by people driving a lot less and, and therefore burning a lot less biofuels that has cut a lot of refiners or uh, ethanol producers' budgets. And one of the places they are looking to cut costs is in lobbying. Um, it's, you know, despite the fact of this being a presidential election year, despite Iowa being the chief ethanol producer in the country, we're seeing that a lot of folks connected to the biofuels industry, particularly on the policy side, have fewer dollars to spend. So even though there's this uh, tremendous crisis going on in the industry, or perhaps because there is a tremendous crisis going on in the industry, they, it looks like, for the remainder of 2020 and on into 2021, aren't going to have nearly the same dollars they've had in the past to get out there and present biofuels in D.C. So this could cause some trouble into this next administration, whoever it might be. Um, The biofuels companies that were referenced in this Reuters story all voted to or all chose to speak on the condition of anonymity. And they said, quote, this is a critical time. The list of things before us is long and people are hemorrhaging money. So you've got to do more with less, which is something that I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, can relate to during this COVID crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And during the COVID crisis, We saw U.S. beef and pork exports fell in the month of June as COVID-19 continued to impact processing, which is something we're going to talk about here in just a little bit with our interview for today. But they said U.S. processing and food industries around the world uh, um, continued to 
fall over. And June was the first month this year that U.S. pork exports dropped below year-ago levels. So even with, um, you know, African swine fever and whatnot, we just couldn't keep up with being able to export, especially in this instance, pork. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I... I don't know if that's solely because of processing, if there were some transportation-related issues in there as well, but um, the U.S. Meat Export Federation president and CEO Dan Hellstrom said it takes time to the it takes time for the entire supply chain to adjust to supply shocks, and thus it was another difficult month for exports. So. Yeah, well, you know, that is certainly a theme we are seeing throughout. I've got a story here coming out of China. The Chinese government, their general administration of customs, which is the arm of the uh, communist government responsible for keeping track of everything that comes in through the ports, announced that their soybean imports through the month of July were up 18% over last year. Now, this shouldn't be shouldn't be terribly shocking necessarily because last year, of course, they weren't buying any beans from the U.S. Ordinarily in the summer, they're buying a lot from Brazil, but they had already purchased quite a few from Brazil. And this year, their stockpiles were really replenished with Brazilian soybeans. So we've talked a lot about the orders that China has made for new crop delivery. We've seen the biggest numbers in corn, but they've also been buying tremendous amounts of new crop soybeans uh, for future delivery. But they have been stockpiling old crop beans, or you know, old crop using our marketing schedule, um, from Brazil. So China imported 10.09 million metric tons of beans last month, um, basically just shy of June's 11 million metric ton record importation. And the vast majority of those beans have come out of South America with Brazil's very large soybean crop this past year and the cheapest of the Brazilian real. It has made a tremendous amount of sense for China to go down there and continue strengthening that relationship. And they've certainly been getting her done. Yeah. And I want to make one other trade related piece of news and then I'll shut up Ashton and let you share some news on the day. But we, it looks like we're back to some tariffs with Canada and Mexico. The Trump administration is reimposing tariffs on specifically aluminum for Canada to ship in. They said that there's been a surge of Canadian aluminum exports to the United States since the USMCA agreement was signed into effect in July. And so they have decided to go ahead and move forward here with some aluminum tariffs. However, the U.S. Dairy Export Council is a little concerned because he said he is anticipating that these new tariffs could affect the implementation of USMCA and could see retaliation specifically to the dairy producers be a possibility. Yeah. So Delaney, um, you might have mentioned it, and I apologize if I tuned you out momentarily, but is the uh, is the resetting of these tariffs done under national security parameters? Is it a Section 163 measure? They didn't really say. They just – but that would make sense because they said – they cited a surge in Canadian aluminum exports. So I suppose it could be that way. This story doesn't indicate what they cited. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah. Finally get USMCA, what, June 1st? It went into effect, I right? I think July 1st. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly recent. I remember us talking about it not too terrible long ago. So yep. yeah, they're throwing our wrench into it already. Well, there you go. Um, Ashton, what are headlines are you watching today? 
I have an update from Barut. The World Food Program plans to import wheat and flour, wheat flour and grains for bakeries and mills to help protect against food shortages across Lebanon after the blast that was reported earlier this week in Barut. And uh, I have a quote here that says the WFP is concerned that the explosion and the damage to the port will exasperate an already grim food security situation that has worsened because of the country's profound financial crisis and the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's from a spokeswoman, they did not cite her name, um, that said in notes prepared for a UN briefing in Geneva, adding it would be providing food parcels to thousands of families that have been hurt because of the blast in Beirut. And they also said the WFP also stands ready to offer supply chain management and logistical support and expertise to Lebanon. So a little bit of good news coming out of Beirut after the tragic blast earlier this week. Yeah, I'm glad you had that follow up. It's nice to hear that uh, the international community is working together to uh, keep those folks in Lebanon with something to eat. I did see, just a quick follow-up, another comment from the Prime Minister of Lebanon, who uh, was out again today assuring their citizens that there would be no shortage of bread or flour. They said they still have enough stocks in private elevators, private silos around the countryside, that the mills will have enough to mill for the next six weeks. So at least they've got a little bit of time for these international plans to come together and keep those folks... uh, with some food. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Jinx, you guys owe me a Coke. You know, people are comparing me and Delaney all the time, so it doesn't surprise me that we uh, have the same thing in mind. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'm going to ask you two ladies a question. Think back to the beginning of coronavirus or to your 21st birthday, Ashton. Since then <laughs> to now... Have you guys been consuming more wine throughout this COVID crisis? Um, I'm going to say no, not less, not more wine, maybe more alcohol in general. Gotcha. Okay. So Delaney is a hard liquor person. How about you, Ashton? (laughs) Yes, I have actually. I am a pretty big wine fan. I used to be white wine, but this pandemic has shown me that red wine, I think is the true winner. There you go. All right. Growing up, getting more mature. Fantastic. Um, Well, we've got good news and bad news for you winos out there. It is reported that France's wine crop looks to be about six to eight percent larger than a year ago. So there should be ample supplies of uh, delicious wine on the horizon. However, to really get good values, especially if you're buying European wines. American wine, of course, is unaffected by this. But European wines, France and Italy, are coming together to reduce output of high-end wines. Um, The Italian government has released, excuse me, the EU has released a 100 million euro program designed to encourage high-end grape producers to take some of their vineyards out of production. Either, and I, I should clarify, either take the vineyards out of production and legitimately tear up, you know, vines or trash uh, some percentage of their grapes. The idea being with the closure of restaurants and hotels and wine bars over the past several months, we have seen stockpiles grow of high value wines. And uh, that's, you know, bad news. We're increasing supply is going to push the prices of those wines down. And, you know, these vintners can't make a living on it. 
So the government's going to get in there and encourage folks to get rid of some of this supply so they can kind of stabilize the overall expensive wine uh, stockpiles. So we are going to have more wine this year, it looks like, but that wine, it looks like, is going to be your cheap wines, which could be a win, could be a lose, depending on uh, what kind of wine you like to buy. Sounds like uh, good news maybe for college students who don't buy the most expensive wine out there. That's exactly what I'm thinking. You know, it's, it's a nice upgrade from Boone's Farm, but you're not yet jumping into the high-end stuff. Exactly. Well, I tell you, that's my final news story. Do either of you two have more we need to cover on this Friday episode? I certainly don't. I, I think that's a good story to end on. Excellent. All right. Well, let's get into a story that is not nearly as good for the friends of ours who are producers tuning into the podcast today. We continue to see a sell-off across the grains, um, regular, average-looking weather across the Corn Belt, with Iowa being the exception. Everything looks poised to create a large crop, and we're starting to get analysts reporting their expectations for Wednesday's WASDE report from USDA. And across the board, it sounds like we're expecting this big crop to get bigger, with most corn estimates coming in north of 180 for a national average yield, and beans coming in north of 50. So we'll continue to see how this plays out as the trade adjusts. Taking a look at the corn market, September corn down three and a quarter at 308 even. December contract down three, closed at 320 and three quarters. In soybean September off seven and three quarter cents at 867 even. November down nine and a half, closed the day at 868 and a half. Over in Chicago wheat, September contract weighed down by the corn market, Seth down five and a half cents at 495 and three quarters. December down four and a half to finish at 503 and three quarters. Looking over at livestock cattle complex under some pressure today, the October contract down 52 and a half cents at 106.45. December live cattle down 87 and a half, closing at 110.0750. Feeders, similar story. September down 75 cents at 145.1250. October down 37.5, finishing at 146.40. Lean hogs, uh, the exception to the downward movement. October lean hogs up $1.77.5 at 50.97.50. December up $1.42.50 to close at 52.92.5. Jumping over to the dairy market in class three milk. Oof, sell off today. August count down 42 cents at 19.39. September down 68. Closed the week at 1623. Without further ado, let's kick it into Delaney and Ashton's conversation about sheep production. Today on the podcast, we have Reed Anderson of Anderson Sheep Company and Anderson Ranches, Oregon Lamb. Reed, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you. So, to start off, why don't you tell us a little bit more about both of your companies and what you guys do over in Oregon? Sure, absolutely. So I'm a fourth generation uh, sheep rancher and, and uh, my, my wife is ration and uh, we started our sheep company and uh, when we were married about 1980, a couple years ago. And um, so we were in the sheep business there. We, we never really inherited anything, but knowledge and uh just uh a will for for work and then of course um like most people in agriculture we have a have a strong passion for our business 
And uh, so we we've been in the sheep business quite a while. And in uh, 1998, we decided to carry it out a little further, and we just started started to sell lamb meat. And uh, so 1998, we started our meat business, and we were uh, going to a local USDA uh, plant and having our lamb processed and. We were selling to a few uh, local stores and a few local restaurants. And uh, that uh, expanded into, uh, let's see, 19, excuse me, 2012. And we were running out of processing um, availability where we were getting our lambs custom processed. Uh, they just didn't have room for us anymore because we were growing rapidly. And <clears throat> so we uh, built our own processing plant at that time and uh, call it Kalapuya Valley Grass Fed Processing. Kalapuya is a little valley here that we we uh, live in, and it's uh, named after the Kalapuya Indians that, that used to be here. And uh, so anyway, we... Uh, we started our own processing, and uh, that's been going very well for us. That is really, really neat to hear the success you guys are having out there in Oregon. Rita, I want to talk a little bit more about the lamb operation itself. I'm from Iowa. We raise uh, corn and soybeans and cattle and hogs here, so I'm not super familiar with the sheep industry other than just what kids would show at the county fair. Talk to us a little bit more about your operation. How many head are you raising? What kind of lambs are you raising? And and what does the life cycle of a lamb look like? Is it a year on feed before processing or a shorter window than that? Okay, so out here in Oregon, we get lots of rain. And uh, the crops that we grow uh, are grass seed crops. We we probably go grow 90% of the world's grass seed right here in the Willamette Valley. And uh, so that lends itself to great grazing opportunities. And uh, so not only do we raise sheep, but we, we raise the grass seed as well. And we pasture other people's grass seed. So we're able to graze our, our lambs all the time. We never ever feed any grain or anything. Not that grain is bad, but we just don't. Th- this is not a grain growing uh, part of the country. And, and so it, it, everything's grass. We get 40 to 60 inches of rain a year. Um, so we we typically raise English breeds because our climate here is a lot like England is. So we has we have Suffolk and Hampshire's and and South Downs and Romney Marsh and Coopworth and and Dorsets. And those are our primary breeds. We we typically wean our lambs at about five months old, and we we t- typically uh, market them b- between six and ten months. Uh, they typically weigh five about 140 pounds. Gotcha. That's interesting. Okay, 140 pounds, and then you're processing them by yourself from there. Tell us a little bit more about the retailers that you're working with. Is it mostly um, restaurants and grocery stores or are you marketing direct to consumers? And and secondly, how has COVID changed the way that you're doing everything there with uh, your retailing? Well, it's changed a whole bunch for us. Um, 
primarily most of our lamb was what we call food service. And that would be restaurants as well as um, in Seattle. We had we uh, were marketing a, a quite a bit to Google and Facebook and Microsoft and some of those we call them uh, techie companies that they they tend to uh, feed their employees and uh, a lot of the employees come from countries that maybe don't necessarily eat pork and so it was a really great opportunity for us to market our grass fed lamb into into to those companies. And um, so what happened when the COVID hit, of course, everybody stayed at home to work. And so everybody ate at, at home. And, um, and then, of course, they shut down all the restaurants, all, all the uh, food service places. And so about 70 percent of our business was lost there in a sh- very short amount of time. And um, but um, we we did expand on the retail side. Uh, we are doing some some home home things. We have a pretty pop. We have two pretty popular items that we market. One is it's a half lamb box. It's basically a, a half lamb that process. It's retail ready in, in a box weighs about 22 or 23 pounds. So a, a home consumer can take that and uh, stick it in the freezer and and uh, and then also we sell a grillers box which is uh has a has a variety of of uh beef steak and beef burger and and lamb burger lamb sausage and and lamb chops and that those types of things that are very easily to to process so we've been working really hard on trying to expand our our retail business and and it's been that part of the business is going very well for us we uh we were typically marketing about twenty five thousand lambs a year and it looks like uh, this year will be probably be more like about maybe thirteen thousand so continuing this talk about the COVID-19 pandemic, have you seen or made rather any changes to how you do your processing or anything like that? Yeah, we've made some changes. All right. You know, we're, we're trying to we've actually purchased some equipment to, to try to be more of a retail uh, case ready product. Um, just to make it easier for the consumer where food service, they would tend to buy what, what we call subprimals, which would be like a split loin or, or a boneless leg or boneless shoulder, that, that type of a thing. And, um, um, and some of the retail people, they, they, they buy that stuff as well. I mean, they, they have meat cutting shops in, in their, stores but but more and more we're seeing a, a kind of a need for a, a case ready type of product it had land a few times read usually at like a higher end steakhouse type of place but i've wanted to learn to cook it more at home what's the best way to do that how do you suggest to people when they're trying to learn how to cook lamb to do that well, first off, you know, don't be afraid of it. You know, there's a lot of people, they, they, they take a look at the cost and, and it is certainly is, uh, you know, more of an expensive red meat compared to 
say, let's say beef or pork, but, but don't, don't be afraid of it. And, and if you can prepare, uh, you know, if, if you can prepare any meat at all, you can definitely pr- prepare lamb. I mean, I am no chef by any stretch of the means, but I can do a pretty good job. And, and, uh, you know, if you want any uh, recipes or anything, just, just uh, find the American Lamb Board, and, and they've got lots and lo- hundreds of recipes o- online. And, and you can f- figure out a, a favorite recipe and, and take some lamb home and, and, and have a really nice experience with it. So, Reed, I, since you're wanting to reach more consumers because of the COVID-19 pandemic and you're kind of changing the way that you market your, your meat, can consumers buy this meat online or is it just for local consumers? No, they they can buy it all online. They they can find us at Anderson Ranch's Oregon Lamb, or they they can uh, find us at Oregon Lamb. I mean, it's we're not hard to find. Well, absolutely, Reed. It's been really great talking to you. And I just have one more thing before we let you get back to the ranch. Where can our listeners find you on social media so they can follow along with your story and see what other products you might have coming? <laughs> we we have a social media lady that does a wonderful job on our Facebook page, and uh, she she does Instagram for us. It seems like every every day she's another one that has some wonder uh, wonderful recipes. Unfortunately, I never look at the Instagram, and I never look at the Facebook page, and I just go along my my f- farmers life. And uh, I'm sure you can find those things. I, I, I think probably the, the Instagram is, is under the, the Anderson Ranch's Oregon lamb. Well, awesome, Reed. We will be sure to follow you, follow you guys and uh, tag you in today's episode. But thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me very much. Thank you. When I first heard of goat yoga, I thought the tree huggers had lost their minds. Well, now there's a new thing called cow cuddling. Do what? As a fat kid, I immediately had flashbacks to my prom night. This is a new thing of paying money to cuddle with a cow and is popular among city people who are stressed out from work. Obviously, these people have never heard of smoking, drinking, Vegas, or crossword puzzles. What started out as a drunken Friday night at cow tipping has turned into an enterprise. Apparently, people are paying upwards of $300 to cuddle with a cow for 90 minutes. From now on, you can just call me Tim the Cow Pimp. This is giving me some great new ideas to make money. I'm thinking goat yodeling, partying with pigs, or even chess with chickens. The people who started this cow cuddling thing say that cows have a sense about them that can calm even the most stressed among humans. These people have obviously never been kicked in the chest, chased by a mama cow, or tried to put a milking machine on a first calf heifer. Calming, sure. I'll take your money all day long. I'm pretty sure this is how the first cow cuddling event happened. A person walks up to a farmer and says, I would like to cuddle with one of your cows. Farmer says, not in this county you won't. Person says, here's $300. Farmer says, right this way. Find me on YouTube at my new channel, Ask a Farmer. 
or just go to timadairyfarmer.com. I hope y'all are safe. Thanks for listening and keep milking it. Again, a big thank you there to read fascinating stuff. Like I said earlier in the podcast, I'm excited to purchase some lamb specifically from them since we've interviewed them now. I've got a personal connection there and uh, try my hand at making some lamb. I'll make sure I tweet or post a picture of it unless it's a total train wreck that I might not. There you go. So if we don't see a picture from Delaney, we'll assume it's a catastrophe. If you <laughs> see a picture, I'm excited to hear how home produced or home cooked yes. lamb goes, Delaney. Yes, me too. So listeners, if you want to stay tuned to this enthralling saga, you're going to have to hit us up on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily, or visit the website at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.